Well, I am so glad you had a chance to meet Mike earlier, our new community life pastor. And uh, before we get started with the message, one thing I'm not sure he said, if you already filled out the first two questions on that survey last week, we don't need you to fill out those two questions again. And if you did just now, please cross those off or you will mess up our totals. So if you can go through, if you already filled it out last week, don't fill out the first or the second one. Just answer the third question, which is a new question this week, and then we'll take it one more time next week because we want to make sure we get as many people as we can uh, who might not be here every single Sunday. All right? Make sense? You look confused. So you're crossing it out if you already had filled out those first two. Great. Well, I, I want to start the message today a little bit differently than I might normally start. I, I actually, I want to ask you to think about something. Um, I want to ask you to think about your reputation. What do people think of when they think of you? Now, my guess is that if you're like me, you, you probably have a mixture of answers to that question, right? Uh, you probably have some people who love you. They love everything about you. They think that you can do no wrong. Uh, if you have anybody in that category, uh, it is likely your mom and uh, a friend you have not talked to in 15 years who maybe experienced you on your very best day ever. Um, and then there are people who, who you know that know you that when they think of you, they genuinely like you but they notice some things about you that bothers them. Uh, but they like you enough to overlook those things. Those are your friends, by the way. <laughs> and then you've got some people who probably do not like you at all. Uh, it could be that you just don't click. Uh, it could be you crossed them at some point in time and they've never forgiven you. Uh, it actually, it could be they've wronged you and then they defensively decided not to like you to make themselves feel better about what they did to you. We, we've probably all got people in each of those categories and many people who are somewhere in between all of those categories. And back to the original question we put up on the screen, when any of those people think of you, what do they think of? Or, or maybe a better way to put it is, what do they say when they speak of you? What is your reputation? Now again, truthfully, some people probably speak very well of you, those who love you and like you. And at the same time, there are probably some who would not say good things about you. Uh, and, and maybe they've even got stories about you. Uh, your ex-boyfriend in college who, who does not like the way that you broke up with him, or your former employee who does not like that you let them go, um, your neighbor to the right right now who uh, thinks you water your lawn too much, uh, your neighbor to the left who, who wishes you would water your lawn more. Uh, chances are that even today, somebody's going to tell a story about you. And if they like you, it's going to be really good, but if they don't, it might make you look kind of bad. And how do you feel about that? knowing that you are both the hero and the villain in different people's stories. Can I suggest there are a few different responses we have when we come to that realization, that truth, and depending on how you're wired might depend on how you respond? Like one response to knowing that you are a hero in somebody's story about you and a villain in somebody else's is to artificially beef up the hero part of you. Um, about seven years ago, somebody here in the Bay Area decided to create a mobile karaoke truck called Freakin' Awesome Karaoke Express. Uh, it's the kind of truck that can come to your block party or your girls' night out, whatever it is, your event where you want to have a good time and do a lot of karaoke in an outdoor setting and take your party to the next level, uh, the freaking awesome level, apparently. Uh, thing is, this truck was not real. Can anybody figure out what the first letters of Freakin' Awesome Karaoke Express spell out? Yeah, fake. 
And the person who created this fictitious business was just a journalist wanting to try something. She was wanting to see how easy it might be to get online reviews of your business, online reviews that are not real. So she went looking for ways to beef up the reputation of this fake business. And what she learned is, for $5, you could get 200 Facebook friends or 6,000 Twitter followers for $5. Um, she could spend money and get a local influencer to mention her truck on Instagram so all their followers would know about it, the fake truck that doesn't exist. And she found actually very little money could buy her fake positive Yelp reviews. Actually, what she did was she went online to a, a marketplace full of freelance writers and offered to pay those writers to write positive reviews. Um, here's one right here that somebody wrote about this truck that does not exist. Recently, my friend had a birthday, and we tried to do it in an amazing way through using the amazing services of this awesome freaking karaoke express. Not the name. It was like our dream had come true. We friends were having great fun in the karaoke truck with our favorite songs. These guys are really wonderful, and they rocked my friend's birthday party. The best thing was that we were in the truck on the road all night long. I love the detail to that. There's a whole backstory there. Anyway, where this journalist went was she wrote in her article how much reputation could be paid for in this world. Now, while you, you are not a karaoke truck or a, or a restaurant, uh, I wonder if some of us, our response to the tension we feel when we know that some people think we're a hero and other people think we're a villain, our response is to beef up the hero, puff ourselves up to the people around us. You saw this in the drama, right? perfect example of somebody beefing themselves up. And, and, and then I think another response is to genuinely beef up the hero part of you. And when I say that, what I mean is people please. Some of us are very concerned about how we come off to other people and we don't want anyone to be angry with us or disappointed by us. And so our response to the knowledge that we are both heroes and villains, our response is to go way beyond what's necessary to make everybody happy. It's to do everything we can to never disappoint or anger anybody. Never let anybody down, even if it stresses us out and makes us anxious and leaves us feeling depleted. And, and uh, even as I say that, I can see it on some of your faces. Many of you are saying, that's me. That's how I feel. That's how I respond. Even as we sit here today, you feel depleted because it is hard making everyone happy. All right, the last response to being both a hero and a villain in this world is actually one of my favorites. Or, or, or what I mean is, you are some of my favorite people who respond this way. Your response is, screw it. I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, I have some friends who this is their response, and they just, they just don't seem to let much get to them or give much thought to other people's opinions, which, now that I think about it, is probably why they are the villain so often. But I will tell you truthfully, I wonder about this. Everyone likes being liked, and I wonder if sometimes they really do care, but, but saying screw it is how they deal with this tension. Now, what's funny is if you're like me, you do all three of these things at different times. You, you might have different responses in different relationships even, and I must tell you, the feeling we get trying to manage the hero and villain plus all three of these responses is why we have this emoji right here. It is a lot to have to deal with. Well, I want to tell you today, this tension that you live in, maybe you're even living in right now, that you are both somebody's hero, somebody else's villain, is something I think the Bible wants to help you with. 
And in Philippians 4.8, Paul gives us a couple of filters for our thoughts that help us with this tension. We've looked at this every week together. Let's read it together again. We'll put it up on the screens. Would you read this with me out loud? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. There are two words or two filters that Paul gives us for our thoughts that help so much with this tension. We're gonna look at them today. Admirable and excellent. Whatever is admirable and if anything is excellent will help you with this tension you feel about being a hero and a villain, this tension that can cause you to artificially beef yourself up or people please or say screw it or, or maybe all three. Um, let's start by trying to understand this word admirable. And, and real quick, you know how sometimes a doctor will tell you when, when something is wrong with you, it's gonna get worse before it gets better? Um, as we try to understand what the Bible means by admirable, the tension in you right now is going to get worse before it gets better for a few minutes this morning, but it will get better. Just hang with me, all right? Paul tells us to think about whatever is admirable or, or maybe even to think about what it would be to be admirable. And right there, right away, it is easy to see where this first word could cause you to become someone who is people-pleasing. Because admirable means somebody that people look up to and someone people respect, someone people enjoy, someone people want around, someone who is admired. At first glance, admirable seems to have quite a bit to do with reputation, if you think about that. Now, the Greek word for admirable is euphemos. You, the beginning of the word, means well or good, and fem means rumor or fame. The word literally means good rumors. Actually, an, an English word that you know comes from this, the word euphemism. Uh, when somebody uses a euphemism, they are speaking of something. So it would seem, it would seem here that Paul is telling the Philippians, make sure people speak well of you, that they spread good rumors about you. And knowing that you are a villain to some, how does that make you feel? Is the tension getting a little bit worse? Let me just pile on. Um, the Bible has multiple places where it seems to suggest people speaking well of you is really important. Take a look at Ecclesiastes 7.1. It says, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. The guy who wrote this book seemed to think reputation was more important than the most expensive of things. Then again, he's, he's also the same one who finished that verse saying, and the day you die is better than the day you were born. Uh, he was in a dark place when he wrote this, so maybe take that reputation thing with a grain of salt, right? But there are other passages that seem to say reputation matters. Um, let, me, let me show you another one. In the early church, the church was noticing a problem where a certain group of widows were being neglected. The, the, the church was giving out food to take care of widows, but these widows in this other group, because they weren't quite as Jewish as the other Christians, these widows were not getting the food. They were Hellenists, they spoke Greek, it's complicated, but, but just know these widows were looked as other by the rest of the widows and, and, and even the rest of the church. How terrible is that, that the, that the Christians, the church was leaving this group out? And so they rightfully complain, and the apostles decide to appoint seven people to oversee the distribution of the food to all of the widows. And here's what it says in Acts 6, verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known 
to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them. Find seven people with good reputations. As we talk about admirable, it is easy to think. Paul is suggesting you are to be thinking about doing whatever you need to do to make sure people spread good rumors around you, about you, because there's a lot of scripture about a good reputation, which leads to you possibly beefing up people's imagination of you. Or are you doing a lot of people pleasing to make sure that everybody's happy? Or, or as you hear this right now, if you are a screw it, I don't care what anybody thinks type of person, verses like these ones we just looked at have got to really do a number on you. Because they would suggest you should care more than you probably do about what people think. But, and here's where this gets worse before it gets better. Can I show you something that Jesus said? In Luke 6, Jesus says, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that is how their ancestors treated their false prophets. Jesus, flying in the face of everything else that all the other people write in the Bible, says, woe to you when people say good things about you. It's bad news for you when people spread good rumors about you. And, and, and all of you right now who are the I don't care what anyone thinks people in the room are going, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. And all the people pleasers in this room are mortified. Jesus wants people to say things that are not good about me? All right, let me make it even worse. Can I tell you what he said a few verses before? Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, they leave you out of things, and when they insult you, and when they reject your name as evil, drag you through the mud because of the Son of Man. And then, this bright line, rejoice in that day. Leap for joy when that happens, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. I, I, I should just explain the prophets thing, because it mentions that in both verses. Um, back in their day, there were false prophets who were going around claiming to be messengers from God. They had a message for God's people from God, and often they would make up messages that were very self-serving. Or, or that would help them personally get ahead. They would deliver messages that were just what certain people wanted to hear, like the wealthy. Why not tell them something that will make them like me? Or those with high social standing. I, I mean, if you're gonna make up stuff that God supposedly said to you and then go say it to other people, aren't you gonna make up stuff that serves you well? And wouldn't it serve you best to say things that make the wealthy and the, the high society people want you around? All right, in verse 26, this first one on the screen, Jesus is calling back to moments like that in their history when he says, that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Woe to you when people speak well of you like them. Basically, Jesus says, sometimes a good reputation is just a sign of a person who says yes to everyone and everything. A people pleaser. Or a person who's stacking themselves with fake Yelp reviews. But then, in verse 22, the next one, he refers to real prophets at the end of that that were hated because they often said things that people did not like. And he says, blessed are you when they run your name through the mud. And Jesus says to his followers, if that ever happens to you, when that happens, jump for joy because you are in good company. So which is it? Which verses in the Bible do we follow? Be people with great reputations or be people who love it when our names are dragged through the mud? And the answer to that question of which is it comes down to this word, admirable. Okay, now I made it worse. Let's try to make this better, all right? Maybe admirable is less about other people admiring you. Maybe admirable 
is about what God thinks of the things that you do and the things that you say. Maybe admirable has to do with your character. Again, maybe admirable, less about the words people say about you. Maybe this instruction from Paul, from Paul is to think about what is admirable, think about your character. What God thinks of the things you do and say that make you who you are. Um, not too long ago, somebody started a, a Reddit a thread asking this question. Uh, when you start dating someone, how do you know very quickly whether or not they're a good person? And maybe you've heard of the waiter test. Have you heard of the waiter test? Like if you're dating and you're trying to find out if somebody's a good person right away, see how they treat the server in the restaurant. If they treat them well, that's probably a good person. Right. Somebody on the thread mentioned another test I had never heard of, um, the shopping cart test. Uh, and here, actually, you can take this right now. Uh, if you are the kind of person who, after shopping, puts your cart in the cart corral in the parking lot, then you are a good person. Uh, if you are the kind of person who does this right here, or uh, you do this, or this, or even this, then, <laughs> then you are not a good person. Now, now, I don't know if I agree with that. Um, I do return the shopping cart, usually, but it's an interesting idea, because what you do with the shopping cart, you usually do when nobody else knows who you are. In other words, the shopping cart choice you make is probably not about reputation. It's a choice you make because it's the good thing to do even if no one sees you. And I believe that Paul is talking about those kinds of choices. He's talking about that when he's talking about admirable, your character. Now, I know these days who is and isn't a person of character is very arbitrary, almost as much as the shopping cart thing is, right? Can I, can I tell you how the Bible defines character, like who has it, who doesn't? It is defined by obedience to God. You are admirable, not because people admire you, but you are admirable. Admirable is what you do when being obedient to a God who calls us to follow him, even when it's not pleasing to everyone else. Admirable is obedience to God, even when it's not pleasing to everyone else. And whether you sit here today, someone who artificially tries to beef up your reputation, look good, or genuinely tries to do the same by, by pleasing everybody around you, or you're somebody here who doesn't care about anyone and what they think, let this truth release some tension. You are not nearly as responsible for your reputation, what people think of, of you, as you are for your character. You are not nearly as responsible for your reputation, what people think of, think of you, as you are for your character. Uh, many of you know who John Wooden is. He was the UCLA basketball coach for almost 30 years. He said this, this is better than anything I'm gonna say today. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Oh my gosh, that's good. Let's just read that again. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what other people think you are. And what Paul says, if you want to get to the bottom of how you deal with all the thoughts that run through your head and how to keep everybody happy, keep everybody pleased all the time and somehow still hold on to your sanity and know when to sacrifice for others and know when to agree just to get along, if you want to get to the bottom of how to juggle 
all these things that feel contradictory, Paul says, let me give you a filter. Whatever is admirable, what obedient act will reflect the character that God wants you to have? So how do you know if you are living up to this or, or, or thinking with this filter, running your thoughts and words and decisions through this? Here's a question that you can be asking. We're giving you a question for each one of these filters. The admirable question, is this thing that I'm thinking about doing or saying, is this something that God finds admirable? Or is it something I'm doing to make people admire me? Admirable, understood wrong, will only drive you to more people pleasing and more endless reputation management. How do I get people to admire me? But if you understand admirable as obedient to God, then the question is, what does God think of this? Okay, okay, but what role then should reputation play? I mean, what about all of those verses that say we do wanna be people who have other people saying good things about us? Yes, good things about our character, but, but what else? And, and that's where this next word comes in, excellent. And I'm gonna go through this word faster, okay? But, but excellent talks to us about what we want people to say about us. Let's unpack it a little bit. The Greek word here is arete, and it kind of has this idea of achieving a certain rank or recognition. Uh, we still use this today when we talk about giving awards. How many of you have seen awards that start in the, the award for excellence in? Excellence in broadcasting, excellence in education, excellence in customer service. Excellence means you have achieved the highest rank you can do in this thing. You have done the best that anybody can do. And, and you might think, you might think that what Paul is saying here is when he says, if anything's excellent, think on that. Shoot to be the best at everything you do. Do not do it if you can't do it with excellence, which again, just drives this narrative that we've got to be people that, 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 that uh, are accomplishing wonderful, excellent things so that everybody around us is constantly happy. We gotta keep people thinking that we are excellent. What excellence has come to mean to us is the highest level of quality. Um, on a scale of one to 10, excellence means that you are turning in nine work, 10 work all the time. Real quick, I used to be a part of a church. Uh, we had this value. We would say it all the time. Uh, excellence honors God and inspires people. So if on Sunday morning our band is a nine or a 10, then we have honored God by giving him a nine or a 10 on Sunday morning on stage, and we have inspired you with all of our excellence. All right, that sounds really good except there's a problem with this that we never talked about. If being a nine or a 10 at something honors God, are you dishonoring God on your way to nine or 10 when you're still just a three? Um, do you know how few software engineers there would be in this world if uh, to get out the gates you had to already be a nine or a 10? You know how few restaurants there would be if people who were trying to become chefs had to just wake up one day with no training and cook something in a nine or a 10? You know how few churches there would be if they had to do everything at nine or 10 before they opened their doors? You know why Paul wrote all the letters in the New Testament to people who were highly dysfunctional? Because they were not nines or tens. Um, one of the coolest things that I got to do on my sabbatical was spend a day going back to a, 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 my college outside Chicago, a place called Wheaton College. And uh, I took my oldest daughter, got to show her around and walk around the campus, had not, not ever done that with her, hadn't been there myself for years. But one thing I was really looking forward to was a visit to this place called the Wade Center. Um, the Wade Center is a private museum on campus. You have to make an appointment to go to it. 
And what it houses is a collection of writings and, and, and memorabilia, really, from uh, famous British Christian authors. So like everything that C.S. Lewis has ever written, including many of his original manuscripts, are in this museum. Uh, even original letters that he wrote to people that they turned over. Um, G.K. Chesterton, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit. Well, one of the coolest things that they have there is this desk right here that used to belong to Tolkien. Um, and on this desk that you're looking at right here, The Hobbit, which kicked off the Lord of the Rings, was entirely written, typed, and illustrated in 1937 on that desk. Actually, much of the Lord of the Rings trilogy was written at that desk as well. Um, it is so cool. There's a letter on the desk. You can see it off to the left, a letter from Tolkien about the desk uh, that they do not allow you to take a close-up picture of. Uh, anyway, if you are a Lord of the Rings fan, you would geek out in this place. There's a lot of cool stuff. But I tell you this because what I discovered, Tolkien was not a great writer when he first sat down and wrote a poem in 1914 at the age of 22 that was inspired by the concept of Middle Earth, which is what the Lord of the Rings is all about. Not good. And he was not excellent three years later when he turned 25 and he tried writing a short story uh, set in a place called Gondolin, which later would be used in The Hobbit and in The Lord of the Rings. It wasn't until he turned 38 years old and he started telling his kids a bedtime story about a strange and funny creature called The Hobbit that he began writing at 38. And seven years later, when he was 45, that book was finally published. And 12 years after that, when he was 57, he finally completed the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And even then, it wasn't published until he was 62. And what I'm trying to tell you is that nines and tens take time. It took 40 years to get to a 10. And if excellence, if excellence means the highest level of quality, then we are all in trouble. So what else, what else could this mean? Let me show you Ecclesiastes 9. This is verse 10, real simple. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol was their Hebrew word for the place of the dead. Um, this is the same author who wrote that thing earlier about the day you die is better than the day you were born. He was going through a rough emotional time when he wrote this book. But look at the first part. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And could it be? Could it be? We have mistakenly thought that excellence is about doing the best instead of doing your best. Excellence is not doing the best. It's doing your best. And I believe that God knew when he had Paul write this that as much as it was for the people back then, it would be for you today as well, people who are very consumed with reputation and what people think of us and whether we'll be liked and people, people who pretend we don't care what other people think but still want to be liked. God says, the reputation I want for you is that you are somebody who does what you do with all your might. You do your best. And God says, what I want you to think on that will help this hero-villain tension in you Am I doing the best that I can do? Am I striving to get better even? And, and I know you probably knew this already, many of you. It is not about doing the best, but doing your best. But I also know, I also know, some of you moms feel incredible pressure to be the best, to be everything for your family. 
and you feel your best is not good enough. And some of you business owners feel incredible pressure to be the best because there's somebody else out there in competition with you. And if you're not the best, how can you stay out there? And I, some of you students here, oh my gosh, you've been told you're not gonna get into college if you are not among the best. If you don't have an ap application that just has a stellar reputation, you gotta beef yourself up. And I, I think God says to you and me, no, you don't. No, you don't. The thing that makes you admirable is following me, being obedient to me, and the thing that makes you excellent is you giving it your all. Yes, you are going to be the villain in somebody's story. And the great news is you're gonna be somebody else's hero. But you are not called to somehow live a life that changes either of those things. You are called by God, you're challenged by him to live an admirable life, defined by your obedience to God, and you are called to excellence, giving it everything you have in any moment when all you have is what you have, doing your best. I think if you think about those things, God will make you just fine with being a hero and a villain. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, I know we are all wired differently, and in this room we have some who are just depleted with the way that they have been trying to please everyone around them. And, and God, I also know that in this room we've got people who are just like, I'm done, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And, and God, I know we've got people who kind of like the one in this drama was very okay with kind of projecting a different version of herself than what is true. And I love, God, that you say to us, I don't care nearly as much about what other people think as I care that you are obedient to me. So God, will you give us the courage to do that today? To respond to you with obedience and then to be people who do our best. Let our reputation be, God, that we are obedient to you and we give it everything we've got. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.